two readings this evening. Uh, I am not going to take our normal uh, New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians, as I want to take two readings about the life of Peter at this stage in his life. And we look now at Luke chapter 22, reading verses 47 to 62. Luke chapter 22, reading verses 47 to 62. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, And looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, when he was still speaking, The cock crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
It's the ending of our first reading this evening. We read it once again from the Gospels, from the Gospel according to John, the final chapter, John chapter 21, and we shall read verses 15 to 19. John 21, reading verses 15 to 19. Let's hear the word of God. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This evening, friends, I'd like us to look at some words from verse 17 of this section. As we heard this morning, And we've thought during the week, we've come to the beginning of a new year. And we come with mixed feelings. Thoughts that are positive, thoughts that are negative. We've mixtures as we look back in our past. And sometimes our mixtures are rather mysterious. Remember Paul in Romans 7.15 says of himself, I do not understand my own actions. And quite often as I've thought about myself, I've applied those words. I do not understand my own actions. And here in Peter, we have a man, a disciple, who is a similar mixture of feelings. He's face to face with Christ. And I'd like us to focus our idea, our thinking, 
on these words. John 21, 17. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter has followed Jesus Christ as his disciple. Peter has confessed Jesus Christ. Peter has blundered about the service of Christ. And Peter has denied Christ in front of his face. Peter has served him with sorrow. And he has failed to serve him with sorrow. He's now meeting Jesus since the resurrection. It's not the first time he and Jesus have met since the resurrection. The Gospels tell us that early on, just the two of them have met together. We're not told the details. Luke 24, verse 34. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. He's appeared to Peter. We're told again in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. So there, there, there was a time when Jesus and Peter met together. And we are not told the details of what then happened. But now we see another occasion. It looks as if the issues between Jesus and Peter are not yet fully settled. If Jesus, if Peter is a Christ denier, which is what he did, is he going to be a useful Pentecost preacher? If Peter is to be a pillar of the church, is he going to be someone who denies Christ from time to time? Is he going to serve Jesus fully, productively? This is something we think will need to be corrected in his life. And friends, as we begin the new year, let's this evening pause In Christ's presence. And let us present ourselves to the Lord Jesus in these words. The words of our text. So that if necessary, we may be restored and recommissioned. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. What's happening here? What is bringing Peter to this trembling yet heartfelt confession? I want to look at it with you from three different angles. Pretty simple angles as we get into them. Three different angles. Dealing with the past. Dealing with the past. Perhaps you've noticed already 
some of the inescapable echoes in our passage. Verse 9 here, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. And it takes us back a few days, a few weeks, several weeks, to Luke 22.55, when we're told that when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, Peter sat down among them. So we're told twice of his experience with a fire. He's sitting with a lot of unbelievers about to blaspheme his saviour. And now he's sitting with his fellow believers and the saviour is talking to him. Verse 15 here. Simon, do you love me more than these? Matthew 26, 33. Peter says of his fellow disciples, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And we know what's going to happen to him not long after that. I will never fall away. Here in this passage, we see the Lord Jesus asking Peter a question three times in verses 15, 16, and 17. Relentlessly, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Why is he doing that? I don't think we need to get into Near East patterns of social behavior. We know, for example, that it was a custom there if, if witnesses wanted to solemnize anything, they said it over three times. In a court, they would make the promise three times. If you were giving a man or a woman a promise, you would look at them and you would make the promise three times. And our Lord has, has twisted that. He's, he's got into Peter with that earlier. Matthew 27, 75. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Oh, what did Peter think when he heard that three times? I wasn't promising it, Lord. I wasn't vowing it. I wasn't making it serious. And this recalls something of which Peter is most sorrowful, most shameful, bringing it home to him again and again. Lord, you know everything. The passage tells us that Peter was grieved. One of my Greek dictionaries tell me that this verb grieved means severe mental or emotional distress. 
Peter was deeply disturbed and shaken by this. But there's more than that in it. For the Lord does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. What's happening here, friends? Well, our Lord knows that before the past can be put to rest, it has to be faced. It has to be dealt with. It has to be put away forever. In these three questions, Peter is reminded of his sin again and again. It, as it were, happens again. He relives it again. In the light of Christ's knowledge of all its wretchedness. And yet, it's the knowledge of Jesus. The man, the Lord, who loves Peter. And who Peter knows he loves him. He turned, Luke says, and looked at Peter. And since then, he has died for Peter. And he has risen for Peter. And he has appeared to Peter personally. And now he comes to the shore of Galilee, where everything had begun, where they'd sat and eaten with him opening up the possibility that he can still love his master. Each question, friends, is, if you like, a healer. Each question takes pain from the wound in his soul. He asks him three times, and each time the, some of the pain is taken away until the past is finally dealt with. As we sing in Psalm 103, as far as east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. We're not looking at this to be morbid, to be, to be lingering in the past, Many things are best forgotten. But Peter says, Lord, you know everything. And we say that to Christ when he comes to us and he corrects us and deals with us. In Hebrews 4.13, we're told that all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And because of that, we can't be pious phonies. We can't be cover-ups. We can't be trying to hide our past from our Lord. There's total openness between ourselves and Christ. And everything is brought into the light so that he can settle things once and for all. Our sins, 
our sins, your sins, and mine. He knows them all, each and every one of them. Some of our sins are still not unconfessed. Some of our sins are still not unforsaken. But he comes to us so that we will deal with them. So that we'll acknowledge them and seek his forgiveness. You remember 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Our failures. How can we begin to count up our failures? He can. He knows how many yours are and how many mine are. He, he can include those that I have forgotten. He can include those that I have never been aware of. He knows them all. He brings them together to forgive our injuries. We're not to pick at them. We're not to let someone else hurt, hurt us with them over and over. We're to bring them to Christ and put them away forever. When he is dealing with us, our sins are all forgiven. Who knows everything is our Savior, our friend, who died for all your sins. And you're certainly, he has certainly forgiven you if you're one of his people. 150 years ago or so, the English writer Top Toplady wrote complete atonement thou hast made and to the utmost thou hast paid whate'er thy people owed. Complete atonement thou hast made and to the utmost thou hast paid whate'er thy people owed. He has forgiven all the sins of every one of his people. And the cross enables us to face up to Christ's knowledge of us. This lances, if you like, the poison from the festering sores in our hearts and souls. So that these sins which are forgiven through Christ need never ever be mentioned again. I hope, boys and girls, you enjoy learning by heart the shorter catechism. In Holland, they learn by heart, some of them, the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a wonderful catechism. I thought I would read to you one answer tonight so that you can see what you think of it. Question 60. 
How art thou righteous with God? Here's the answer. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and of never having kept any of them, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Here's the part I like. As if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner, as if I had been perfectly obedient, as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. Isn't that wonderful? We can read it over and over, we can think it over, but it's, it's wonderful. As if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner, as if I had been perfectly obedient, as Christ was. It's glorious. And this speaks to us of dealing with the past, which happens as we come to God through Christ. But then secondly, and perhaps more briefly, we see here clarifying the present. Clarifying the present. Do you love me? That's the question Jesus asks. Do you love me? It's as if he wants this clarified. There's changing here in Greek verbs. I'll not, I'll not open you, I'll open you up tonight to this. I've read a number of good books about the Greek text. I'm still not yet convinced that there's any clear uh, distinction between the different verbs used, but it may come. But in the meantime, there's a very simple question here, which a child could answer. But it's a searching question. It penetrates to the heart of faith. Do you love me? It's far more than a vague statement. As with what happens with so many people who think, you, who think they're giving you their Christian faith. It involves faith in the Lord, Jehovah, the covenant God. Does a man or a woman give to the risen Jesus that heart devotion which is God's alone? Do you love me? Friends, this is possible only through the experience of grace. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first 
loved us. Our love is a reflection of his love for us first beforehand. Our love is an, is an evidence of true pardon of us by God. You remember the statement of the once, once wicked woman in Luke seven forty seven. Her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. For she loved much. It shows she was forgiven. Do you love me? How do you answer? How do I answer? Peter searches to his depths he is searched to his depths by his, his, his Lord the first two times. Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. The third time, he doesn't do that. He doesn't immediately answer, yes, Lord. Much might suggest that he doesn't. His mistakes, his pride, his denial. How can he defend himself? How can he argue his failures? How can he make way through the maze of his heart? How can he do it? You know what Peter does. For his vindication, he throws himself on Christ. He throws on himself on Christ. Question one, yes, I love you. Question two, yes, I love you. Question three, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know, I'm fond of special Greek words. There's a little, little Greek pronoun there which emphasizes you, puts it first, makes a point of it. Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. And there he can rest. Friends, you and I, if we're trusting in Christ about who we are at present, if we're trusting truly upon him, we can rest on that. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Matthew Henry writes, It is a terror to a hypocrite. To think that Christ knows all things. But it is a comfort to a sincere Christian that Christ knows all things. It's a terror to a hypocrite, to a liar, to a thief. It's a terror that Christ knows all things. But to a sincere Christian, 
It's a wonderful, joyful statement. My Savior knows all things. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, for he knows everything. I have been looking for something of my, a possession of mine from the past, and I haven't been able to find it, so I'm not able to show it to you this evening. It was a present given to me by one of, my, one of our three children from P1 at school when the child was asked to make a little or ornament for their daddy. And they were given a sort of a thing like hard mud and tried to make a beautiful little ornament. The, the, uh, well, the, the ornament that I was given, I can only best describe it, was it was made by a child of Ted Donnelly. Because that, only that can grasp the ugliness and the uselessness of the whole thing I loved it. I kept it for years. I used to have it at my desk in the study. And I used to look at it, smile at it, and love all my children when I saw that. And we do something for God. It's not great. There are a number of failures in it. Sometimes when we look at it, we're embarrassed. But he's our father. And we as children are giving it in love to our father. And he is so delighted with it. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he, know, and he knows everything. And then finally... We've been thinking of the past and of the present. But finally, we have here, I think, commissioning for the future. Commissioning for the future. I think that's an important reason why it's recorded here for us. It's the order of things. Love for Christ always issues in obedience to Christ. Love comes first and it produces obedience. John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what the love produces. That's what it brings about. Peter here has a work to do. Verses 15, 16 and 17. Feed my sheep. Sorry, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And as a preliminary to doing this work, Jesus asks him something. Do you love me? And then when he's answered that question, Jesus then goes on to tell him what to do. And what he expects of, of him, from him, feed my sheep. His love for Christ qualifies his sheep to serve him. Our work as a Christian 
in, in a real sense, is continuing Christ's work. We can't command our Savior if we do not trust him for ourselves. First we trust him. Then we serve him. We can't help others to become more Christ-like if it isn't our passion to be Christ-like. That's a wonderful truth. Our very sins, our very failures can make us more loving. Our very sins can make us more loving. We remember them. We remember the pardon we've been given. We rejoice in them. Thomas Scott writes, Those who have been greatly tempted and have had a much humbling experience of their own sinfulness and have had much forgiven them generally generally prove tender, compassionate, and attentive. Here he says, those who have been greatly tempted and have a much humbling experience of their sinfulness and have been much forgiven, they generally prove tender, compassionate, and attentive. In other words, he's saying our love for Christ enables us to care for others. Love for Christ enables us to care for others. They're not always lovable. They can be slow. They can be discouraging. They can be costly. But we're to persevere in it. And as we do, God enables and empowers us. In the early 1700s, a minister called Thomas Boston began ministry in the little town of Ettrick on the border of England and Scotland. His, the town was, a, was called by one writer a sea of troubles. The church was weak in that place. Few people loved God. And Boston writes, After eight years ministry, my heart is alienated from this place. He has held his first communion. 66 people. He, he stayed there. He served God there. And the blessing came. And 21 years later, in 1731, that congregation of 66 people had become a congregation of 777 people. He sought to serve God purely through love. You see, friends, Jesus does not ask if Peter loves the sheep, he's a shepherd. He's going to be a shepherd. He's going to work as a shepherd. 
But Jesus doesn't ask him if he loves the sheep. He asks him if he loves him. For here is the source of daily empowering our service. Several quotations here. Sorry that they're all coming in at the end. Matthew Henry. He's writing here about ministry services. Applying it to ministers. He then says it applies to all. Nothing but the love of Christ will constrain us to go cheerfully through the difficulties and discouragements we meet with in our work. But this love will make our work easy and make us in good earnest in it. We love our sheep, he said, because we love our shepherd. And applying it to all of us, not just to the pastor or the elder. Caring for other sheep is proof of our love for Christ. Caring for other sheep is proof of our love for Christ. Final quotation and the end of the message. J.C. Ryle We may know much and do much and profess much, and talk much, and work much, and give much, and go through much, and make much show in our religion, and yet be dead before God for the want of love. Look at all he's doing. Yet dead before God for the want of love. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you once again for our Saviour for his love for his chosen people. We pray that you'll help us to look to him again and again. That in the weeks and months to come, our love for Christ may grow and grow. And so it may result, O God, in a truer, more earnest service of others for the sake of our Saviour. We pray, O oh Lord, for any here tonight who have not yet come to Christ as their Saviour. And we ask, O oh God, that by your grace, in this year, perhaps in this week, or even this very day, you will bring them by your Spirit to acknowledge their sinfulness before him and to hear his saving love for them. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.